So I just, like I said, returned from vacation uh, this week, and we took that, that road trip to New Mexico. It was quite the risk, and, and it was great, and we had quite the adventure. Um, on Wednesday, when I got back into the office, I pulled up the, because um, we're following the lectionary this year, and I wasn't quite sure what I was preaching on this Sunday, because on vacation, you know, I shut that out of my mind. And I got back, and I pulled it up, and, and I read the text for today, and I was like, oh, gosh, like, Jesus, you know, you're giving us more challenging words today, you know? It was like, in a way, I was like, well, lo and behold, Jesus has got another difficult thing for us to deal with this morning. And I went into Christina's office, and I was like, Christina, you know, spending the year with Jesus hasn't been very easy, actually. I thought it was going to be this, like, refreshing time to spend with Jesus, you know? Uh, but it hasn't been all that easy. And I said to her, I was like, you know, Luke's Jesus is, like, really challenging and really difficult and says a lot of really tough stuff. He just keeps making me uncomfortable every week. And our church is probably getting tired of it, you know? And Christina replied, she's like, well... Jesus is also pretty difficult in Mark, in the Gospel of Matthew, in the Gospel of John, for that matter. And she's like, perhaps Jesus is always going to make us uncomfortable. And I was like, oh, good point, Christina. Jesus does have a lot of hard things to say. People, when Jesus was walking the earth, and, and I love when I read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those, if you don't know how to read the Bible or you've not read much of it, start there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are kind of like the stories about Jesus' life. And I love when I read the Gospels to focus not only, not only on what Jesus said and did, but the reaction that others have to Jesus. And I'll tell you that sometimes people are amazed, it says. They're, they're blown away. They're so excited about what Jesus is saying. But I'll tell you, more often than not, people are furious, <laughs> disappointed, even outraged by what Jesus said and what Jesus did. People were kind of always trolling Jesus. They were even publicly shaming Jesus, threatening Jesus, seeking to bully Jesus. Jesus was at the center of so much drama and so much conflict. And if we're reading Luke's Gospel, though, if you've been going with us from the beginning of the year, we shouldn't be surprised by this, though. Because it was kind of said from the beginning, this, this, this is exactly what's going to happen. Do you remember, remember that old man named Simeon uh, where Jesus, when he was just a baby, just a few days after he was born, Mary and Joseph took him to Jerusalem to have him dedicated at the temple. And there was this older man named Simeon who was there who had a connection to God and he had been waiting for this moment. And he went up to Mary and spoke this prophecy about her son and, and listen to what he said about Jesus to Mary. These are not the most encouraging words. It says, Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, Jesus' mother, he said, This child, this baby, is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And he is going to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too, he said to Mary. It's probably not the, the word that Mary wanted to hear about her new baby, right? 
that, that he's going to cause the rising and falling. People are going to speak against him. She's going to go through so much agony that it's going to be like a sword is piercing through her soul. From the very first days of Jesus' life, people were saying that this baby was going to be a threat, that this baby was going to cause a disruption and turn everything upside down. This makes me think of a, a show on Disney I liked called The Mandalorian. Did you ever watch that show? Um, yeah, I see some hands going up. Well, the main character, Mando, uh, he had to go to such great lengths to protect Grogu or Baby Yoda because this baby was so powerful, so full of integrity, so committed to justice and goodness, had the force moving within him that the empire and all its powerful weapons of destruction tried to control this baby, tried to capture this baby, and even wanted to take this baby's life. Jesus, even from a young age, was causing such a stir all across the empire. You know, we often talk about Jesus in very comfortable and easy and acceptable ways. And we say things like, he's my best friend. Jesus, he is my best friend. He is the lover of my soul. He's the beautiful one. When I was uh, in high school, they talked about Jesus was my homeboy. <laughs> the gentle the wise teacher. We have all these really acceptable and nice ways of talking about Jesus, which I believe all those are true. But I think we need to have the fuller picture. Jesus is not always comfortable. He's not, nice is not how I would describe Jesus, just to be honest. We need a fuller picture. Jesus was dangerous. Jesus was very subversive. Jesus was very revolutionary. Jesus angered and enraged people all the time by the way he lived and the way he operated in this world. And in short, what I want to say this morning and play on this image a bit is that Jesus brought fire. And you think about Jesus. His fire burned within him. And fire hurts, right? Fire can scatter people. And Jesus sent people running and hiding and scrambling by the way he lived his life. But Jesus' fire had the potential to transform and to renew and to refine, and to bring incredible power and ignite people around a new way of living. So I want to read our text for today. It's from Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 56. The words will be behind me on the screen. And you'll see when I start reading this why some of it's a bit confusing. Jesus says, I have come to bring fire on earth, and how I wish it was already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. What stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think I have came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two, and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, how is it that you don't know how to interpret 
this present time. Jesus brought the fire. You know, Jesus was many things. And, you know, a few weeks back, I shared like over 50 names of Jesus you can find in the New Testament. Jesus was many things. But today I want to talk about Jesus as prophet. Jesus as prophet. And I think some of this will make sense as we dig into one of Jesus' critical and important roles that he took on. Jesus was part of a long prophetic tradition of both women and men who brought this prophetic fire to places and to people where the fire was often not welcomed or wanted. We could describe these prophets kind of like fanatics. They casted a vision of another world where God reigns and where justice rolls down like a mighty river. The prophets spoke truth to power. They intentionally sided with the oppressed and they lived in a way that was consistent with God's heart. They weren't afraid to be different, and they often walked a very difficult and lonely road. The prophets, it's described in the Bible, had a fire burning within them. The great prophet Jeremiah said these words many, many years before Jesus' time. He said that God's word in my heart is like a fire. He said, it is a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it. Indeed, I cannot. And Jeremiah didn't hold the fire, and he let that prophetic fire out. And just like Jesus as well, they brought that prophetic fire. And Jeremiah, it led him into some places where he was hated. Jeremiah was thrown into a hole and left to die. Jeremiah was described as the weeping prophet because he wept so often because of the turmoil and the pain that he endured because he followed God's call. On the road to Emmaus, if you remember, after Jesus rose from the dead, there was two followers of Jesus that were going to Emmaus after the resurrection. They did not know Jesus had rose from the dead. And Jesus came up and started walking beside them. And they didn't know it was Jesus, and so they started talking to them, this stranger who was Jesus about Jesus. And here's what they said when they described Jesus. They said, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. A prophetic fire burned within Jesus. And I'll tell you, most everyone, none of us really like prophetic fire. <laughs> When there is a person burning with prophetic fire like Jesus, what will happen is almost everybody in society will try to contain the fire, distract away from the fire, starve out the fire, maybe hijack and try to repurpose the fire for their own agendas, or even at worst, extinguish and kill the fire. But a few, a few throughout the years have taken the risk to lean into that fire of Jesus and allow His radical message and His example to refine them, to ignite them, and to change them for love and service to the world. And I want to be in that group. That small group of people who are committed to the uncomfortable and challenging way of Jesus. Rabbi uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel, a Jewish uh, scholar and activist and theologian, defined a prophet, and I think one of the best ways I've ever seen. He said, a prophet is someone who is to be maladjusted to injustice. If you're a prophet, it is to be maladjusted to injustice. 
to combine very deep love and very powerful dissent. Painful rebuke with unwavering hope. I love this. This describes Jesus so well. Jesus had a very deep love and a very powerful dissent. Jesus had painful rebuke, but he had unwavering hope. Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament scholar, wrote a book called The Prophetic Imagination. It's a wonderful book. I encourage you to read it. Um, but he suggests that prophets have two main functions, to criticize and to energize. And we need both. I agree with him. Prophets, they criticize. They are critical thinkers. Prophets don't accept easy answers. They don't accept the official report that's given to them. They don't accept that exploitation and oppression and immorality and violence and deception are okay. Prophets are willing to grieve and lament the way people have abandoned God's desire for His people. Prophets are willing to talk about the things that people in power don't want us talking about. Prophets are willing to cause conflict by what they do and what they say. So prophets, they lament, they grieve, they speak hard truth, they're they, they cause trouble at times. But prophets also energize people around a belief that another world is possible. They aren't so concerned about whether something is possible or practical, but can it be imagined? Can we imagine a world different than the one we see now? We need some prophets today to energize us around a new vision, right? Because we, we got a lot we can be critical of right now. But we, I, I need help seeing a different way, right? I need help seeing that things can be different. Can we imagine a world different than the one we see now? So prophets hold on to hope even when situations seem hopeless. They present an alternative to the dominant way things are done. And prophetic communities, which I hope Embrace can be, are meant to model and live out that alternative way of living in the world. So they criticize and they energize. So now that we know Jesus is part of the prophetic tradition, arguably the greatest prophet to ever walk the earth, this text for today should make a little more sense to us. Jesus says something peculiar and kind of disturbing. All right, I'm going to put it on the screen. He says, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. Now when I read that today, I'm like, Jesus, come on, man. Like, don't we have enough division right now? Do we really need more? You know, I think I'm like, what? I thought Jesus came to bring peace. The angels literally declared that Jesus came to bring peace on earth. We sang a song on Christmas Eve about peace on earth and goodwill to men, right? Jesus is described as the Prince of Peace. But division? Really? Don't we have enough division in our world already? Well, I don't believe Jesus was telling us here that his mission was to bring division. But I think Jesus is describing here the inevitable result of his ministry of peace and love and justice. This is what's going to happen. There will be division when you come into the world and live in the way that Jesus lived. Jesus already told us his mission back in Luke chapter 4. Remember when we talked about the beating heart of the gospel? Jesus' mission was to proclaim good news to the poor to set prisoners free, to give sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim God's favor and God's justice. That is describing a peaceable kingdom, a world that has God's shalom, right? But do you remember what happened right after Jesus 
lifted the scroll and read his mission to everyone in that synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. His family and friends, they tried to tie him up and they tried to throw him off a cliff. He came proclaiming godly peace and justice. And you know what people did? They responded with rage, with fury, and with violence. Jesus' radical life of truth-telling, integrity, and compassion, His prophetic fire was not well-received then. And for those who are truly following in His footsteps today, they are often not well-received either. Jesus was well-versed in the prophetic tradition. And He knew that those who follow His path of peace certainly would experience conflict as they pursue God's desire here on earth. Uh, Cornell West wrote a book called Black Prophetic Fire, and he talks about key figures kind of in the, the, the black freedom movement in America. And in one of his chapters about Martin Luther King Jr., here's what he says. He says, you don't find truth in the middle of the road. You find truth beneath the superficial, mediocre, mainstream dialogue. And the truth is buried. It's hidden beneath that. And when you connect to that truth, you have to take a stand. And when you take a stand, you're not going to be liked by everybody. People will try to crush you. People will try to lie on you. People will try to kill you. Like I said, he was kind of riffing on the life of Martin Luther King Jr., who both criticized the injustice he saw and experienced, and he also energized others, uh, people around this fresh vision of the beloved community. King's fire was kind of too hot for most people. You may not know this, but when Martin Luther King was killed, the vast majority of white Americans did not approve of him, and the majority of black Americans did not approve of him either. Martin Luther King Jr. was not liked when he died. Eventually, uh, he was too hot for people, and they eventually tried to extinguish his fire through his assassination. And even after his death, we see what's happened today. People have had to co-opt that prophetic fire and repurpose it for their own agendas as false unity and cheap reconciliation, which Martin Luther King Jr. did not stand for. I heard someone say this week that the call for decision is a call for division. It's a tough statement, but I believe there's a lot of truth there. That when we decide to follow the way of Christ, when we decide to follow in the footsteps of the prophet Jesus, Jesus, who was consumed by that unquenchable fire, had that radical commitment to love, to truth, to justice, and freedom. When we make a commitment to practice radical love for God, for others, and for ourselves, we're not going to be accepted by everyone. It's just the reality. It is the truth. Some of you already know what this feels like. Many of you have been on a journey of kind of unlearning and, and trying to relearn and, and try to uh, think about how you can practice radical love for God and, and for others, particularly vulnerable people, and, and even practice radical love for yourself. And you understand that's not always received very well among others. Maybe uh, your radical love for Jesus and others has caused serious awkwardness and intensity at family gatherings. Maybe your commitment to love yourself and to set healthy boundaries has upset friends and family. Perhaps your intolerance of things like racism and homophobia and transphobia and bigotry has resulted in arguments and, and distance. I know others who made a choice to pursue a downward path instead of climbing a ladder of success and it's made people in their lives feel threatened. I'll remind you of the beating heart of the gospel articulated by Jesus in Luke chapter 4. 
Jesus picked up the scroll in the synagogue and read his purpose statement. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I believe the more that we embody this mission by the way that we live our lives, the closer we come to the fire that consumed the heart of Jesus. And if we get close to the fire that consumed Jesus, we will be uncomfortable. We will be challenged. We will be provoked. We will even experience pain. However, I believe the fire of Jesus, if we have the courage to press into Jesus, not just the easy Jesus, but the radical Jesus, then I believe that it can refine us and he can shape us and that fire will mold us and ignite us into being the loving people that God has created us to be. You know, over the last few years, I've gone through a lot of change in my own life, uh, a lot of rethinking and reprioritizing and, and looking at myself and the world in a different way, and it has not been easy at all. As a, as a white man, I've had so much that I've needed to learn and unlearn, and I realize that there's so many blind spots that I have, and when I've been exposed to these things, it's been challenging, it's been hard, it's been painful, it's been tough. Growing is not easy, is it? <laughs> Shifting our priorities and focus is hard. But the fire of Jesus will continue to help us become more and more fully who God has intended us to be. And so it's a risk. It's a risk to press into Jesus. It's a risk to say, hey, I'm going to look at the whole of Jesus, not just the easy parts. It's a risk. But I believe if we lean into that prophetic fire, then we can be refined and we can be ignited to go out and make a difference in, in other people's lives. I'll tell you, uh, one thing I'm learning, and, and my wife has helped me a lot with this because she's been on a, an inward journey for a long time, and, and, and I think what I'm learning is to be fully yourself is very powerful. To really learn who you are and tap into the essence of who God has made you to be. It's a very powerful thing. And that's really the journey all of us should be on, is really pressing in to figure out who God has made us to be, tapping into that fire that lives and breathes within us. But when we become fully ourselves, that is actually very threatening to others sometimes. And it can be very threatening to those who want us just to get in line and be who they want us to be. And ultimately, to be fully yourself, to be the person God has made you to be, is to have joy, is to have life, it's to have integrity and wholeness, and purpose. And that's the journey that we're on here. And so I want to encourage you all to keep pressing in to Jesus and that fire that burns within him. Press into the whole scope of who Jesus was and who Jesus was about. Continue to try to become one with him through spiritual disciplines, through trying to live your life in a way that lines up with what Jesus was about. And when the closer we come to that fire, the more we're going to be molded and refined and crafted and ignited to being the people that God has made us to be. And I think that's the place that I want to be, and I, I want that for, for you all as well. And so uh, it's a challenging thing to think about, but I think it's also a joyful thing because being who we are and being who Jesus has called us to be, becoming more and more like him and following his example is the, 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 brings the most joy I could ever imagine and the most purpose and the most meaning in our life. So I encourage you not to give up, to keep pressing in, to keep taking the risk, to press into Jesus 
and what Jesus has for us uh, as individuals and, and as a community. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.